I, like others, will briefly share a little bit of my testimony, and I actually want to bring it very current. My father yesterday turned 86 years old, and he is struggling with Parkinson's. I'll get to go see him January 3rd. Um, But a year ago, uh, he had had a heart attack, and so I changed my plans, and I went up to spend what I thought might be my last visit with my father, and uh, he was weak, but was at home, and uh, I had an opportunity to say, Dad, let's go. Let's go for a drive, and I got my dad in the car, and we drove around the coastal trail uh, of Nova Scotia, and he and I drove just the two of us in the car. We drove for about four hours. As we pulled out of the driveway and out onto the highway, I said to my dad, I said, Dad, I've got a question to ask you. I said, what in the world possessed a 40-year-old Irishman who had never been outside of Northern Ireland to pack up five children and a wife that couldn't drive and move to Nova Scotia, Canada? And I listened for four hours. My father laughed and he cried and he shared a story with me that I knew bits and pieces of, but there were so many of the intimate details I I never knew. And yet in all of that, I still didn't know them all. Two weeks ago, I called my father, had the opportunity to tell him that we were coming home to visit and it was unplanned, which I knew would thrill him. And in the course of that conversation, he started talking and shared with me details about that story that I didn't know, like... At the time of that decision, his father-in-law came to him and made this statement, Clifford, if you don't get out of Ireland, they're going to kill you. I'd never heard that before. So let me step back into my testimony. You know a little bit of it. I am from a family of five children, my mom and dad. My dad was a laborer in Northern Ireland and was very, very involved in what you might know as the Orange Lodge, as Protestant, as Protestant, as Protestant could be. And in the early 1970s, the heights of the trouble, he was very, very involved in an activist way in the Orange Lodge. There were five wishable masters at the time in Northern Ireland in the Orange Lodge. The other four had been assassinated. And that's why his father-in-law made the statement to him. He was uneducated. He quit school in the sixth grade because a farmer offered him a job slopping hogs. And after doing it for a week, he made so much money, he thought, why would I ever want to do anything else? He went from that to laboring in a quarry, and that's what he did, uneducated, but he had learned, and he was a very smart man to run a paving plant. And a man at the quarry, who he later found out was a believer, came to him with a newspaper clipping and said, Clifford, there's a job opportunity, and I think you should explore it. And it was in Nova Scotia, Canada. He called the number, and they said, okay, we want to give you a free vacation in Nova Scotia, Canada. And so he took a plane for the very first time, and he flew to who knows where, (laughs) Nova Scotia, Canada. And he went in June, which other than June, there's snow pretty much. So he went in June. And after interviewing with them, he discovered he had come to the new world. They had never owned a home. They really never owned anything. And he, he discovered, if I take this job, we can buy a house, we can buy a car. And they said, okay, if you want the job, you start now. We pave in June, and we're done in September because of the cold weather. And so if you want it, you got to take it now. And he called my mother, and he said, Nance, I've taken a job. I've bought a house. Bring the kids. And somewhere over the next month, she packed up five of us. All I remember is one big blue trunk. Everything we had, 
we moved to Nova Scotia, Canada. My next memory was driving, knowing my dad had bought a house, and there were three houses, and the middle one was pink, and I thought, not the pink one. <laughs> sure enough, he bought the pink one. <laughs> I tell you that because of this. Knowing what I shared with you about my father, my father moved us to a town that was 98% Catholic because he had no idea. The university was St. Francis Xavier. The hospital was St. Martha's. The retirement home for, nurse, for the nuns was St. Ninian's. And down the street, there was a monastery. And we, as, as Protestant a people and as lost a people as you have ever seen, found ourselves in a very foreign land. But God, in his sovereignty, brought a missionary church planter to that town to reach Catholic people with the gospel. And knocking on doors, he knocked on the door of the most Protestant people he had ever met. I still remember sitting in the living room and him saying to my father, do you have a Bible? And my dad saying, yes. And my jaw dropped. We, we have a Bible? And obviously it must have been well hidden, maybe back in that old blue trunk. But my father took a long time in getting that Bible. And somewhere in the course of that, sitting in that living room, that missionary church planter turned to me and he asked me this question. He said, do you know that Jesus Christ died for you? Well, whatever was going on in my heart, I heard this question, do you know that Jesus died and it was your fault? And I said, no. I knew Jesus had died, but it wasn't my fault. And he simply presented to me the gospel in as common a way as you can imagine. Some of you may know it as the Romans road. But as he walked me through the gospel, the Holy Spirit of God was in my little 11-year-old heart telling me that Jesus died and it was my fault. He died for my sin. And so as he got to the point about me being forgiven, I was more than ready. And friends, the very first time that I ever remember hearing the gospel when he asked me if I would like to confess my sins and trust Christ as my Savior, I had a coffee table in our living room, knelt and trusted Christ as my Savior. Mom was first. Dad was last. Five children in the middle. All seven of us trusted Christ in seven months. And on the same day, we all got baptized in a river in Nova Scotia, Canada in May. That's exactly what I did. And I don't know why, but they decided it would be a good idea from go to, to go from youngest to oldest. So I got baptized and had to stand on the shore and watch the rest of them. <laughs> I may one day forget my salvation, but I'll never forget my baptism. <laughs> but on that day, I actually had that pastor announce that God had called me to the ministry. And frankly, I knew nothing about what the ministry was. There were seven of us and four others became charter members of Antigonish Baptist Church. We met in the basement of his home. He was the only thing that I ever knew of that would be a pastor. But he regularly would have youth group, and we had 100% attendance because I went. <laughs> he would come to my public school, and he would pick me up, and we'd go to his house, and somehow we'd eat pizza, and I'll never forget it because his wife was allergic to tomatoes, so there was some kind of red sauce with no tomatoes in it. But anyway, every week it seemed like, oh, now before we go, I have to. And he would take me to the nursing home, and he would take me to the hospital, and he would take me to visit a shut-in, and he would take me to an evangelistic call that he had to make. And I would sit in church, and I would listen to him on Sunday morning, and I would listen to him at Sunday night. 
And by the time it was time for me to be baptized, all I knew was this, that whatever God was doing with that man's life, I wanted God to do with mine. So the journey from that point forward was a windy and twisty one. And God had to do a lot of things in my life to finally get me back to the place where I was training for ministry. But I can tell you today, after 25 years of pastoring and now being in this role at Bob Jones University, I just still want to do those things that God was doing in that man's life. Seeing people reached with truth in a loving way, seeing them love their God and grow in truth. I'm not sure that that is some mysterious experiential call to ministry. But I know this. God implanted in my heart a desire for the office of a bishop. And then I had a body of believers that recognized in me the giftedness such as it should be for that office. And they commissioned me for ministry. And that's why I'm serving God today.